Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 416. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprincing.com where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 416. Our first sponsor thanks this week goes to Northwest Green Panels. Based in Madras, Oregon, Northwest Green Panels designs and constructs a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses, offering versatility, style, and durability. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon-made using twin-wall polycarbonate manufactured in Wisconsin making Northwest Green Panel structures a great value for your backyard. The 8x8 foot modern site greenhouse has become the essential hub of my cutting garden. Check out photos of my greenhouse in today's show notes or visit nwgreenpanels.com to see more. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with the entire episode dedicated to North Carolina, celebrated for naming the flowering dogwood as its state flower. There's so much great news coming from North Carolina. We have featured several Slow Flowers members as previous podcast guests from that state. So to give you a richer snapshot, I've collected all of their appearances with links for you to find and listen in today's show notes at DeborahPrincing.com. They include a great introduction to the dynamic floral scene in both growing and design. You'll hear from Jonathan and Megan Lease of Spring Forth Farm, episode 266, Stephanie Hall of Sassafras Fork Farm, and Maggie Smith of Pine State Flowers, episode 273, and Kelly Morrison of Colorfields and the Piedmont Wholesale Flowers Project, and that's episode 296. So follow those links if you want to learn more about North Carolina. Our first guests today our mother-daughter duo, Diane Joyall and Lily Joyall of Bowerbird Flowers and Apothecary, based in Chapel Hill. In our conversation, Diane and Lily share their local floral point of view as retail florists in the eastern part of North Carolina's Triangle District, which is Chapel Hill, Raleigh, and Durham. They've grown rapidly, and they have some cool news to share with us. Part two features Nikki Irving of Flourish Flower Farm in Asheville, which is in the heart of Western North Carolina. Nikki is a farmer florist who serves a diverse range of customers from grocery to wedding and events and also serves on-farm customers. I hope you enjoy our tour of North Carolina. Before we jump into the recordings, here's a bit more about each guest. Diane Joyal is the founder and CEO of Bowerbird Flowers and Apothecary. She loves anything that keeps her smiling. And this includes small puppies, big local blooms, and a good conversation. 
Her days at Bowerbird are filled with client interactions, vendor relations, and tracking down the best of the best in product. Diane's secret talent is being up with the floral trends and knowing just where to find a specific bloom. Her favorite flowers are offbeat tulips, bearded irises, and not your average roses. As the founder of Bowerbird, Diane started the business with the idea that arrangements should be created to showcase what each individual bloom can do. She's trained with Sarah Ryanen of Saipua, and she has taken classes with well-known designers such as Ponderosa and Time, Katie Davis, and Bows and Arrows, Alicia Rico, both are Slow Flowers members, of course. Lily Joyal, her daughter, is operations manager and designer at Bowerbird. Lily loves anything that keeps her moving, including, but not limited to, coffee, a nice sunny day, and a good workout class. Lily's daily duties at Bowerbird include making lists, gathering blooms, and accomplishing the impossible. Her secret talent is Car Tetris, and she can load any car with flowers without a single snapped head. Her favorite flowers are the hellebore and whatever is in season. In her free time, Lily enjoys going for a nice long run and getting good food with friends. She's also a painter and graduated from UNC Asheville with her BA in 2017. Nikki Irving and her husband, William Irving, own Flourish Flower Farm. After years of working in education and outdoor education, Nikki finally turned the dream of becoming a farmer florist into reality. As the daughter of a landscaper and a tree farmer, you could say that Nikki's love of plants was inevitable. Nikki loves growing, nurturing, and creating beauty. William spent his childhood helping his grandfather tend a giant vegetable garden, and he is the master of the farm maintenance task. William still has a full-time job off the farm, but he helps Nikki make sure the farm is run like a sustainable business, and he fixes the things that she breaks. Together, they balance a love of nature, hard work, creating beauty, and spreading joy at the farm. They believe that flowers make the world a more beautiful, enjoyable place, and are inspired by the way a fresh bouquet of flowers lights up someone's entire face. Nikki loves creating lush, seasonally inspired arrangements for weddings and special events with their gorgeous farm fresh flowers, and William is always behind the scenes helping to make it all run smoothly. I think you'll enjoy this cross-state tour featuring two Slow Flowers businesses, models that are design-driven and dedicated to local sourcing. You can see photos of Diane and Lily and their many creations for Bowerbird Flowers and Apothecary, and of Nikki and Flourish Flower Farm's beautiful bouquets, and more in today's show notes for episode 416 at deborahprincing.com. We'll also share social places for both North Carolina floral enterprises. Let's get started. I am so excited today to visit the state of North Carolina, and we're going to have two interviews today. We're starting with Bowerbird Flowers and Apothecary, and I'm so delighted to introduce Diane Joyle and Lily Joyle. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having us. Well, I've had Bowerbird Flowers and Apothecary on my radar ever since I met Diane. I think it was in the March of 2018 at the Team Flower Conference. I don't know. We just ended up sitting together at a meal or something, right, Diane? We did. But you were just starting the business, and I was so intrigued by, first of all, the name is beautiful, so you have to explain that, uh, <laughs> but also kind of what you had envisioned for uh, blending local flowers into a larger retail uh, strategy. So, Diane, can you just describe the business a little bit? Give us a snapshot. Sure. Um, so we do um, 
we do everything that a traditional flower shop would do. We do deliveries. We do, um, we have walk-ins, we have bouquets and arrangements ready to go. And we do weddings, um, of course. And we also do, um, events for, um, corporations and the universities in the area. We live in a really busy, thriving, um, community of universities. We have Duke and UNC and, uh, state and, there's a couple of other ones in Raleigh. Uh, so there's always, always something going on and there's always a need for flowers. So we, we do a lot of that. We also have an apothecary. Uh, we sell plants, um, pots and home goods. Um, the apothecary is something that's uh, near and dear to our hearts. And we, um, that's kind of been the basis of, of how I got into flowers. Mm. So the apothecary is dried. Um, herbs that are sourced. We've worked really hard with the local farmer to source as many of them locally as we can. And she grows and dries the herbs. Um, and she actually supplies herbs to quite a few of the herbalists in our area who create beautiful products that we mm. sell. So um, we, we do sell some products that we've created here in house with our herbalists. We tell teas um, and, um, but the other, like the other local herbalists sell things, produce things like salves, tinctures, um, what else, Lily? Um, and teas, I would say. Yes, they have teas too. That's yeah. Really wow, that's so cool. And how big is the shop? <clears throat> it's about a thousand square feet. It's huh. very small. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, we make it work. Yeah. <laughs> Other people are thinking a thousand square feet. Oh my God, that's huge. But you know, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Chapel Hill is part of the Raleigh Durham Chapel Hill triangle in it's in sort of Eastern part of North Carolina, right? Correct. Yeah. It's yes. a pretty large dense population density in terms of that you can draw from for customers. It is. And it's very diverse in, in the type of customer. Yeah. It's been growing pretty intensely over the past couple of years as well. So you opened uh, technically in um, in 2018, is that right? Well, we so I've been doing this for five years. Okay. Um, just events. 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 Yeah, I started with events, um, and I worked doing this on the side. I worked at UNC Hospitals actually as a study coordinator, and uh, wanted. I'm an artist, so I really wanted to do something creative after my kids left to go to college, and. Um, found herbal medicine and then found the flowers. Hmm. Um, and nice then, path. yeah. And so the flowers had a lot that kind of gave me the actual cash flow that I needed to get out of the job that I had. Um, and I did it out of the house and then went brick and mortar. I did a shared space for two years and we've been in this location one year. Oh, okay. Oh my goodness. It's, it's been, I, you know, it's been a, not a struggle. It's just been, I haven't taken out a, any loans. Um, starting a business is always, um, an adventure and a journey. And, um, when you're passionate about something, you find a way. Wow. But organically, like you didn't, as you said, didn't take out a lot of take on debt or anything. You kind of phased it in to, uh, grow along with, with your customer base and with, with what you envisioned for the marketplace. Yes. And then, uh, Lily, tell us about you and how you got, because uh, you grew up with a mom who was artistic and loved flowers. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, this wasn't a huge surprise to you probably, right? Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, I, so she started the business while I was in college um, and I have my degree from UNC Asheville in painting. Mm. So 
I went to school for something pretty creative. Yeah. Um, I always, outside of me was definitely always encouraged. Um, I'm so fortunate and privileged for that. Um, and I graduated and, um, like many people, I moved back home and she needed help at the time. (laughs) So I started helping her out just to figure out where I was going and fell in love with it. And my mom and I worked pretty great together. So it worked out really well. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) It was always my hope. (laughs) So how did you, how did you see, did you feel like you didn't have to trick Lily into joining you? It just sort of have again part of your grand scheme it kind of happened organically yes yeah mm-hmm. I hoped and then and then she when she started she got hooked <laughs> yeah. oh it, that's so wonderful I love it so te- I feel like this is some kind of almost like your secret sauce having a a close family member in the ca- this case I see a lot of mother-daughter teams where there's a high level of trust and familiarity and kind of shared vision and it just, it must just feel like you're not in it alone anymore, Diane, even though you've always had employees. Yes, it feels really good. It, it's, um, it, there's definitely some things you have to navigate mm-hmm. as adults, um, but it's, it is, it's, it's a wonderful closeness. It's certainly enriched our relationship and, um, and we do have a, a greater level of trust than we've ever had, um. She, she's been such an asset to the business and she brings like a fresh perspective and she pushes me and artistically, you know, and creatively. Um, and she, she's just, you know, I couldn't do it without her. Mm. So, okay. So, uh, Diane, I want you to describe Lily's aesthetic and Lily, I want you to describe Diane's aesthetic. Cause I bet you do not make, make look alike bridal bouquets. <laughs> oh, I would say Lily's aesthetic is, um, She's more, um, she has more balance in her designs than I do. I would say that her, she also tends to be more sculptural mm. in her work. Um, there's a lot of really beautiful movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, well, she's got a great sense of color. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think she's probably more adventurous than I am. <laughs> I okay. Okay. Turn the table, silly. How does your mom design? <laughs> Um, I would say she's, I mean, she's, she always includes a lot of elements and it's definitely garden inspired. She comes at it from a more um, organic view, I would say. I feel like her bouquets are always very whimsical and um, uh, very, they can be over the top in a lot of ways. <laughs> They're gorgeous and yeah, I love it. Oh, you'll have to share some photos of your designs so people, uh, our listeners, can see them uh, in our show notes. Uh, we'll have those at deborahprinzing.com. Maybe we won't label them and let people guess whose is whose. <laughs> that would be a fun game. <laughs> well, well, this kind of I'm being silly, but it kind of makes me wonder how do you balance, um, you know, all the things that ha- that. that require attention at Bowerbird because you have a walk-in retail space, but you're also producing large uh, and and local weddings and events. Like how do you divide up who does what? Um, I would say that's something that it's, it's ever shifting. Um, We're always trying to find better ways to do things, but um, right now it's just kind of uh, our studio space is in our retail space. Ah. Um, as, and we have other employees as well. So it's just kind of whoever, um, has, whoever walks in the door, uh, you know, is going to 
it just depends on what's going on and who is able to step up and help out. And, and that, yeah. that's kind of in real time. And I'm sure you also have consultations where you, you're a little bit more able to control the schedule. And Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, too, like one of the parts of like growing the business and, and understanding um, how to divide things up, it's, it's, it's definitely evolved. And we've had to be more strategic about that because I can't, initially I was doing all of the inquiry, handling all inquiries, handling all scheduling, handling all ordering. Um, and Lily has stepped up and has helped a lot, um, with that because I mean, I can't, one no. person can't do all that. No. She's <laughs> always managed like the schedule and, um, having new employees on and making sure we're staffed well for events. She was kind of, we saw her as a studio manager initially, and I tried to handle the front end and all the ordering and everything. And now we're, we're, that's changing because, you know, the business is growing and mm-hmm. the business will grow again. And you keep, kind of keep have to dividing things up and re reworking things. Well, it sounds like you do a lot of laughter and uh, you <laughs> have to communicate constantly. And maybe that's part of keeping it fun, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you started, Diane, you mentioned the, being drawn into this um, new industry, basically, from healthcare. Even though you weren't practicing healthcare, you were in that kind of more corporate, institutional environment. Um Describe a little bit how you came up with the philosophy for Bowerbird. Like, obviously, you cared about wellness, but how did that bring in local flowers and local sourcing? How did that all come together for you? Um, Well, financially, that was a need to have cash flow. So the the flowers seemed – I love beautiful things, but Mm -hmm. but in practical sense, you you need money to do the things that you want to do sometimes that don't. I don't think there's a, a huge amount of money in herbal medicine. And it seemed to me too, that it was a lifelong, something you could study for years and years. Sure. Um, and I'm older. I don't have years and years. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted a, a, an opportunity to create something that was a reflex, reflection of who I am and what I value. And so I was fortunate enough to be, um, I met with a group of women and we talked a lot about, you know, setting intentions and, expressing ourselves, um, and being true to who we were. And most of the women in the group were over, I would say 45. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of women that get to be that age and you struggle with identity and what you want from life. And you, it's scary to shift careers, but there's a longing for, um, for being ourselves. And I think after you've been a wife and a mom and maybe done a job that you had to do that you didn't want to do, there's a yearning out there. And I just, for some reason I'm fortunate enough and I, I had to act on it. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, that group of women is actually pretty instrumental as as much as the herbal medicine in, in coming to flowers. I think, um, for me too, um, it's the, the, uh, the connection with community. So that was the other really important part. I didn't want to be isolated in what I was doing. So working with local farmers and, um, selling products and creating beauty with those things that were local here mm. was also a really important part of what brought me to this. I thought, well, I would have almost like an instant community because I could physically go out and connect with these people. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. Yeah, I think that continues to be something that like I have found joy in what I do is having farmers come in the door or we have a local, um, uh, growers market called the Piedmont wholesale market. Right. And- 
and just like going either going there or having the farmers come to us there's like always this like sense of banter and just it's just so much fun to interact with these people and get to know these people and how hard they work I mean we all work really hard in this industry so it's always a sense of connection and joy through that as mm. well I'm so yeah. glad I'm so glad you mentioned Piedmont Wholesale Flowers um we uh of course uh i been following that story and Kelly Morrison, um, one of the founders has been a guest on this podcast and we just had her uh, speak at the Slow Flower Summit about the local flower scene in your marketplace of farmers coming together to su support re florists and wedding and event designers like you. So that's a, a probably another facet that allowed you to um, create your brand so quickly with, with having a steady supply of, of excellent farmers who are growing in your region. Definitely. Yeah. yeah Definitely. This area has so many amazing farmers. Yeah. We're really lucky. Ooh, super lucky. Do you have, yeah. do you have, um, like, what do you do in the winter months, Diane? What do you, cause I know that you have a technically have a winter in, uh, in North, in North Carolina, right. In Chapel Hill area. We do. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, it's not really winter. We lived in Maine for 25 years. So oh, okay. this, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, I mean, it's always a novelty to me that it doesn't snow very much, but it is winter and we don't have, we don't have, um, you know, fields of flowers. There are a lot of farmers here who are growing in hoop houses now. Oh, uh -huh. um, so like we're lucky, I would say, We've managed sometimes, it depends on the, of course, the weather, but um, sometimes we get anemones in December um, and by the end of January, beginning of February, we have, you know, access to some ranunculus probably. And, you know, what else is coming in then? There's other things that mm -hmm. start at that time and and, I, and it's thin, but mm -hmm. it, it's starting. And then we also, um, we do source American grown. That's something our friend Tony at Roadside Blooms has mm -hmm. um help educate us about and we are we're always looking for sources outside of our immediate area when we can't get what we need locally and then we move outside of that radius um of course if we need something else but um you know there's ways around things and we do try and we have a one farmer who's grown um amaryllis for us in her greenhouse mm. uh, she's we force paper whites a lot of bulbs mm -hmm. And we do have a ton of plants in here, but you know, as far as events go, we try and work with what's popular seasonally um, and greenery and things like that. Um, That's really get, creative. You have to you kind know, of win the challenge, but you can do it. Yeah, you have to work within those creative constraints. And um, as artists, of course, you're up to the task. Yeah. 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 Well. Before we move on, because I know we want to talk about some new things that are happening for Bowerbird. What is Bowerbird? I, we know what apothecary is, but tell me about <laughs> what is there a flower called Bowerbird? No, there's a bird. Called, <laughs> a Bowerbird is actually, and it's actually two words. So I kind of morphed it into one just because I was, that was what I wanted to do with my store name. But a Bowerbird is a, a very interesting bird. Um, if you've ever read the book, Genius, The Genius of Birds, it's a, it's a great book and it has a lot about Bowerbirds and, and their behavior. But I saw them years ago on like one of the animal I think it's plants on planet Earth. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> and I was I was homesick, and I was like watching this show about these birds, and the males create these beautiful bowers on the ground that are in the nest, and they decorate them, and they you know will do very symmetrical designs with seashells, and they love the color blue, <laughs> um, and they're they're very interesting birds. The the females then 
fly around and choose the bower that they like the best. And um, yeah, there's there's quite a, a, a an interesting bit of you know research that's been done on these birds, and and they're very smart. Um, but it was the bowers that I was so attracted to because they're all different. The, each male bird has his own style. But uh, they're all really intricate and beautiful. It's a charming name. And it does, even though I didn't really know what it meant, I knew, I, I think of Bauer as a real garden term as well. Like you described, like yeah. creating this, um, I, I don't know, des- this place in nature that is that is uh, inviting. So I, it, it all comes together mm-hmm. beautifully. I love it. <laughs> and no one's ever going to have that name besides you. So that's, that's a, you have, you know, there's so many, sound alike names in the floral in the space. So you you've kind of put your march your territory with with bowerbird. And having flowers and apothecary too, I think t- describes a lot more about your brand. It's a beautiful name. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh I hear that you and Lily are cooking up even more creative work for yourselves, and I mean <laughs> work, I mean work in the most positive ways. <laughs> tell, yeah. tell us what what is new on the horizon for bowerbird. You, you do this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, Bowerbird, is opening up a second location in a food hall in Durham called the Durham Food Hall. Um, we're going to have a retail um, space in there um, and where we'll do sell fresh flowers and like gift items and home goods and then also have our apothecary over there. Um, selling teas and herbal blends and things like that. And, oh my and goodness. Flowers. Lots of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Durham Food Hall kind of says what it is. I mean, it sounds like it's basically um, a place with a lot of vendors, uh, but very, is it very much like the culinary scene uh, it locally or? Yeah. So it's um, a little bit more of a boutique kind of food and bar space, I yeah. would say. Um, they're also going to have a venue in there as well, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, describe that. That that you, when you told me about that earlier, I was I was thinking like a little workshop space. Oh, so there's going to be there's actually three levels to this. The ground floor, um, the building's kind of sits on a, a bit of a hill. So the the first level is all the food and the, this massive bar, and then you go up some stairs to the second level, which is coffee and dessert and our space mm. and an enormous like soft seating area like couches and comfortable seating and then a, a really beautiful sculptural big work table with um plugs all down the center so you can sit and work and then the third floor is three rooms that are going to be for for events there's going to be a ballroom um then there's a beautiful bar um the the all of the details in this space have been really well thought out it's beautifully designed beautiful light fixtures uh the finishes are really really gorgeous. Um, and then there's going to be a small conference room. It'll be good for like, um, you know, lunches for, you know, the university is always doing different things over there. Duke sure. and mm-hmm. um, So uh, someone can rent that. And then the other really cool thing about the space is that like, instead of having, you can have food brought up to the space, but you can also give a preloaded card to the people attending and they can go down and get the food that they want and bring it back up to the space for the meeting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then flowers will obviously be a part of, of all that too. And we will be providing those for those, for those events. So, so you're basically the in-house flower vendor as right. well for events, but then also you have your walk-in retail service and, and people who are there to, 
I don't know, have a glass of wine after work are going to, can come in and yeah. take home a bouquet. Yes, yeah. definitely. Will that space be comparable in size to your existing retail space or how, how scale, well, scale wise? It, interesting. And so the, the actual physical space that the, the public will see is not, it's probably a little, a little under half the size, Okay, but we do have space in the back and that's the really cool part about this too, is everyone has their own storage area. There's a massive walk-in cooler, a massive walk-in freezer. There's a dry storage space that everyone is going to have a room in. So we get two and then back, like back storage areas. And then there's a, an, a big room for like dishes and washing things. So we'll have a space to wash all our bases. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it's really well thought out and it's very, um, instead of each person like at a food court, like having kind of their own individual, you know, space and equipment, there's a bunch of shared, um, space in the back that that kind of serves that purpose for everybody. Yeah. That infrastructure is probably one reason why it was so appealing to you. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And, and they want to encourage collaboration across vendors, um, which is the other thing we're really looking forward to coming back to that community um, ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and this is, um, you mentioned earlier before we turn on the recorder that you would be creating some kind of botanical signature cocktail for like the bar area. Like to, that's an example of the cross, exa- the cross pollination, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you too, but what an undertaking. And are you going to, is this what you alluded to with kind of, as the business grows, your, your roles will be changing a little bit? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and we're still not sure what that's going to look like, but we, we, you know, we're, we're hiring new people. Um, and we, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to be in different locations probably, but we're going to have to mm-hmm. figure all that out because all of the event work will still be based out of our location here in Chapel Hill. So if someone wants a wedding at that ballroom, you're still going to be kind of juggling the, what, what happens in both spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a wow. Well, good thing you're opening later this year and maybe get kind of uh get through the holiday season before the 2020 wedding <laughs> bookings start happening. Yeah. We'll probably have some time to figure stuff out. <laughs> Do you with a second location, I know that there's this has come up in other interviews I've done with people. When you add the second location, how do you um I don't know, do how do you not cannibalize what the first store is doing? I mean, are you think that you're going to find a new population of customers in this, like how far apart are these stores? They're pretty, I mean, it's interesting how, I, I don't want to use, they're segregated. I mean, mm-hmm. like people, there's a lot of older people, I think in Chapel Hill who tend not to go to Durham, which is funny to me. Like mm. we've had people, in the store and they say, I'll say, well, like if they're looking for something, I'll refer them to another small business over there. And they'll say, Oh, I never go over there. Uh-huh. They're only about 15 minutes apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're not, not far, far apart. Yeah. But people, but people kind of get, people, yeah, they get kind of a set in their ways. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like when you, when you live, you know, in New York city and you only, you know, you tend to, you know, have your little, you know, five block radius or whatever for like your dry cleaning and your coffee. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that the flower shops and gifts, people, you know, we've, we've got a lot of, uh, development here, but, um, people just tend to stay in their little areas. Yeah. I think also with this space, our current space, um, it'll mainly be event production and then we still have, we'll have a retail end, but it won't be quite as 
large um, just because walk-in traffic will be so much greater at the other location. So you'll really, well. you'll really yeah. try to emphasize your merchandising and your product selection at the new space. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Oh, I'm so excited for you. That's really great. Are you teaching workshops at all or, or is there just no time in your, in your juggling <laughs> schedule to do that? So we're, we're, that's our goal. Another goal for this year. So last year when we got this space, we thought, Oh, we're going to have all these classes and, it, it was a lot to juggle because you're here sometimes 10 hours a day and just doing the work that's required for the events and the, the front end of the business. And then, you know, what we want to teach, we love it. We did some wreath workshops last Christmas and we had such a good time. Um, and we have um, a new herbalist um, that's just started her business. She's quit her full-time job. She's extremely enthusiastic and energetic. And sometimes that's what a small business needs is, is, is an injection of energy from someone else. Um, and sure. we are, we're planning um, a workshop with her on flower essences. That'll mm. be at the beginning of October. Oh, wow. Um, do like a gut health workshop on with herb, herbs. Um, were, so those types of things. And then flower arranging workshops, we're going to try and offer at least one once a month a, a new workshop um, and, and maybe and where will those happen will they at, be at the new at uh, the new food hall or or at the uh, original chapel hill location i think we might um i will will this fall until we open over there they'll be here but sure. once we open over there i think we'll have to kind of see the scale of the events people love the feel of our store it's cozy and it's intimate and it's it smells good. Yeah, it smells really good. <laughs> so I, I think we'll still keep some, doing some things here, but the the kind of the allure of that new space too is the the, the endless possibilities for for having different types of gatherings. Well, um, I mean, they say they say so often though that I, I'm a former business reporter, so I totally remember this in the retail world. Like it's all about location, and if you're in a built-in, dynamic, energetic. Uh, kind of people-filled space, it's almost, it's not like you don't have to work it harder because you obviously have to make them want to come back, but right. they're, they're, they're curious about what's, what's here and, and they're going to come, you're going to also be the only non-food vendor so, or tenant. So it, it seems like a really perfect situation to, to tell your story. I think yeah. so too. And people, people are hungry for um, beauty and, nature and they need it in their lives and they don't even they don't even realize it until they walk into a place mm. that feels like this you know they and some, we've had people walk in the door and cry it's 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 kind of interesting when you when you when we talked about the herbal medicine piece and what led to flowers i think it's a natural progression because um we're so removed from those things and, and our soul needs them we mm. need to we need to be connected to nature in some way and whether it's through um, a plant that we have in our house that we dote on or some flowers that we bring in every week as a treat. Uh, people, people need it. it, it and, and, it, and it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be, it should be something that that's part of our life. Well, having the apothecary allows you to have things at really small price points for those people who don't yeah. want to buy a hundred dollar arrangement, but can buy a, a packet of local herbs and take that home and enjoy some lovely Tulsi Rose tea or yeah, something that, that can and nourish them. Mm. Well, I just clicked onto your, well, I've been on your website the whole time you've been talking and looking at your <laughs> cute faces, but clicked on your mission page and your mission is just so 
just so clearly expressed. You say, connecting people with the beauty of the natural world during life's most, most noted moments. And uh, that's a beautiful sentiment. And I think it's, if you compare every decision you make against that mission, you know you're on the right course. And I, I'm excited to see what happens with Bower Bird Flowers and Apothecary in the second part of 2019. And uh, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about what you're doing. I am too. Thank you so much. We have uh, admired your your podcast for a long time. And I had, I bought your books so long ago, like right when they first came out. So this is, it's so wonderful to, to be connected. Oh, well, the universe brought us together at that breakfast table, Diane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lily and Diane, thank you so much for telling us more about Bowerbird Flowers and Apothecary. I really want I don't think a virtual visit is enough for me. I need to come visit you in person. So hopefully that will happen in the near future. Thank you for supporting local farmers in your business and creating community and um, just sharing the natural world with your customers. It's inspiring. And I hope our listeners will enjoy seeing photos of all your work and the pretty things that you're doing. And we'll share those in our show notes for this episode. Thank you both so much. Thank you. you Bye-bye. I'm so excited to continue our tour of North Carolina as part of our 50 States of Slow Flowers series. We're moving to the western part of the state, to Asheville, and I want to welcome Nikki Irving of Flourish Flower Farm. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for saying yes. I've had you on my (laughs) wish list for a while, so this worked out perfectly. Give us a, yeah, give us a little introduction of Flourish Flower Farm, and it's F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H, right? That's right. Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. So um, as you said, we're located in Asheville, North Carolina, which is the far western part of the state, and we have been in business for a little over four years now. And this started really as a dream of mine and kind of an experience. I guess an experiment to mm. see if if this business could could actually be sustainable, and I'm really excited that that it is. Um, but we do a little bit of everything. Um, we we have nine acres, but we really only grow on about two acres pretty intensively. Okay. And I say we, because my husband helps me, um, all the time, even though he works full time off the farm. So he pulls, he pulls double duty. (laughs) And his Um, name is, is William. (laughs) Correct. Yes. William. Thank you, William. So we grow, um, specialty cut flowers. Really. We grow mostly for weddings. Um, we do, we design for weddings, Um, from Flourish. We sell to other florists. Um, We provide bouquets for Earth Fair grocery stores in the area. That's right. Yeah. Um, We host workshops on the farm. So we we have a few different things going on, but honestly, the puzzle all works together to make sure that, um, that our flowers always have a place to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really an uh, interesting term. I was going to use the word mosaic, but puzzle is just as, as perfectly uh, <laughs> uh, fitting because 
like any flower farmer, I'm sure your goal is to not have a field full of flowers at the end of the week, but to have that those pipelines full as they're leaving the farm to various uh, niches that you're you've you know of people who want your flowers. Exactly, exactly, and it changes every week because, I mean, some weeks like this week, for example, I could cut white dahlias all day long and never run out, wow. and then but but no one wants. Um, pink this week. And so our grocery store accounts get a lot of pink. Um, So it's, it's actually really nice to have a balance of like really specific sales outlets like florists and then the grocery store that, you know, they don't really care about color per se. Um, They just want it to be really colorful and Mm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, wow. And so it's interesting because I think this is a snapshot of what a lot of uh, diversified uh, boutique farms are are up against is that you couldn't really s- sustain a business or be supported by a single channel. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I know it works for some people, but it's and it's it's you're not a monocrop farmer either, so you right you have to you know juggle all these. So in a, terms of hierarchy, like how what is your most demanding channel? Is it your own weddings and events? It is yes, um, and you know I it's early spring and then into the fall. And I, you know, try to plan our busy wedding season around when we obviously have the most abundance of flowers. Um, and then I can, you know, order, for example, roses from California when my bride really wants them. But I would say the biggest demand is, um, yeah, wedding design from, from, you know, what we design on the farm. Um, and then our workshops are really just, have really grown this year. Now that we finally have our forever home, we've been operating on lease land. And so, um, it's really, really fun to have people come to our, you know, our farm and show them what's happening, make a centerpiece together. Um, so I, I foresee that growing, um, you know, yeah. that side of our business growing even more. Cause I think people just want to come out and, and see what we're doing too. And, and how far outside of say downtown Asheville are you? We're 15 minutes, so we're really, really convenient. Yeah, You're convenient for the flower enthusiasts to come to visit, but you're also convenient for running those deliveries into the grocery store, it sounds like. Exactly. Yes. I, every year I'm like, I'm going to consolidate my delivery trip. So I'm not, you know, running out every single day, but the reality is everything doesn't fit in my car on a delivery, (laughs) (laughs) but also like the grocery store, you know, they want flowers on Tuesdays and Fridays and florists want flowers on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So, you know, bottom line, I'll, I'll bring flowers to people whenever they want them. So, but but you're not like a lot of my friends in, in the Seattle who sell in the Seattle market who are 90 to, you know, 120 minutes away. Like, you know, you, oh, wow. you know that, yeah. then you're leaving at four in the morning to beat the urban traffic. And, you know, it's just a different set of calculations, which force you to just do this once a week or maybe twice a week. So exactly. Yeah. So is Asheville just, um, because of its size, just everything seems close by, or is it just where you've chosen to, to farm that happens to be close in? Yeah, it's, it, it's a little bit of both. I mean, we, d- there are definitely some areas, um, with great farmable land, 
meaning <laughs> it doesn't flood and right. it's, it's flat-ish because we're in a pretty mountainous area. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the flat land is also in floodplain. But um, we really, we really tried to find a place that was convenient, mostly because William is still he commutes for work. Mm. And so we, we just couldn't be, you know, 45 minutes outside of town. But we also knew that agritourism was going to be a big part of our business model or continue to be. So, um, we, we waited until we could find somewhere that was just convenient. Um, and we, we lived in the city. So when we moved here, we were like, well, our friends are still close and we don't, (laughs) We still want to do stuff. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, I want to drill down on a couple of these of these channels. Um, for the wedding and event work, um, I'm just curious, are you just word of mouth? I know you're very active on Instagram, but um, how are how are these couples finding you? Are they local or are they destination? They're all, I mean, they're all destination. I was mm. actually looking at my you know, kind of list of couples, even just last week. And I think we're probably doing about 35 weddings this year. There are two weddings that are local, um, that are locals. Goodness. So Asheville itself is just a huge wedding destination. And, and people I think come here because everyone wants to visit Asheville just to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say most people seem to find me through Instagram or Google, actually, even though I don't put any money into Google, mm-hmm. um, I'm glad that I show up, yeah. but, um, and then just some relationships that I've built over the past several years with wedding planners and getting referrals. And then, um, we've become preferred vendors at a few of our favorite venues and so we get a lot of, I think that side is actually growing more now that people know our work and the, the really high quality. And I think that we're f- pretty fun to work with. Mm. And so I think venues are starting to add us to their preferred um, vendor list, which is really, really great because um, it's just nice to have those relationships. Right. right. It kind of puts you on the team rather than being a solo vendor. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then because you're also selling to florists, I ask this of a lot of people when this comes up, um, you know, what's, what's been the relationship with, with your wholesale florist customers? They obviously know that you're also designing weddings and events, right? Yeah, they do. They do. You know, it's, it's an interesting line to walk because I, um, I would say it kind of depends on the florist. You know, first and foremost, I just try to make sure that I'm providing a really high quality product to my florists. And, you know, I don't bring any of my personal wedding, you know, that's sort of like a different hat that mm-hmm. I wear. Right. So you're the, far- you're the sure- farmer. You're wearing the farmer hat when you're selling. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, what I have done is really make sure that our prices are competitive that are, you know, I'm not undercutting anyone. I think that that's been kind of a problem, honestly, with Mm -hmm. the farmer florist movement is like, oh, well, I have all of these flowers, so I can just, you know, make a bridal bouquet for so cheap. And we really don't operate that way. Like, I don't want to, you know, I only want to add value to the to the florist community here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I just refer people to our, to the shops that support us really regularly. If, because I usually only take one wedding per weekend and, you know, May and October, 
could probably be filled like three times over. So I make sure to like refer them to the shops that really, you know, support us and support, you know, the other flower farms. Um, and, and hopefully that they feel that. And, and I guess the other thing is I don't really try to compete on those holidays, like, you know, Valentine's day, mother's day. I don't offer mm-hmm. sales, you know, like mm-hmm. that we would design. I make sure all of the flowers that we have are going out to the shops and, and send customers their way too. So I, my hope is that they um, appreciate that. <laughs> that's that's kind of a nice message to say, especially if, for example, you are giving a, a wedding referral to say, hey, if you love our flowers, here are the three florists you should, you know, get quotes from or get proposals from because you'll have our flowers, you know, that they'll design with or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you've got, um, you've got your own weddings and you've got, you sell wholesale to um, uh, other florists. And you mentioned retail shops, but you probably also sell to wedding and event studio florists, right? Definitely. I would say that's um, about half of, mm. of the florists that mm-hmm. we work with. Mm-hmm. And then the grocery store um, piece of it. I th- remember, I, w- I forgot that you were selling at uh, the, that very cool kind of natural grocery store chain. And it's called Earth. Earth Fair. Earth Fair. And I think we talked about it once when I was doing a grocery store article um, or we something. We did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're a regional chain there, I think all the way up in Ohio now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is there only one branch in Asheville? There's two stores in Asheville, um, and they're, they've both been so wonderful to work with. And, and their corporate office is actually in Asheville, which mm. is kind of how I got plugged in, um, in the first place. It was actually my first year of starting the farm and I planted way too many snapdragons and had this moment of like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, literally what am I going to do with all these snapdragons? Yeah. And I just was like, I've never seen local flowers in earth fair. I'm going to give them a call. And so I, you know, brought samples to them and it was kind of a great lesson in entrepreneurship because I'm, not by nature, like a cold calling type person, but I realized like no one's going to call me and be like, Oh, I hear that you're (laughs) growing flowers on a half an acre. We would love to buy them. (laughs) And luckily, luckily those flowers probably helped sell themselves uh, for you. (laughs) You know, just, they did, they did, but it was kind of a funny, um, education process because for, you know, weeks after that, or, you know, even the next like month or two, they'd say, well, when are the Snapdragons going to be available again? And I was like, oh, well, next year. Like, they don't... <laughs> we're <laughs> so moving on. We have a different offering. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you still, it sounds like you still feel like, um, obviously different pricing structure to sell to grocery, but it, you still feel like it's worth it to, and you're doing, are you doing mixed bouquets or straight bunches? So I'm doing both and, um, we finally found sort of a great system that works really well for them and for us. Um, so we always offer the, a large mixed bouquet and it's always the same price point about the same number of stems, but it's just up to us to make it look really full and beautiful. What is that? Um, What is that price point? So I sell it to them for eight fifty, eight dollars and fifty cents. And then um, I'm actually really lucky that we work together when we were setting up pricing. And so they sell this bouquet. I think it's either twelve ninety nine or thirteen ninety nine. So it's not like 
a standard markup. Right, um, right. They're, they're, so, will, they're willing to meet you halfway almost and not... They really are. And I guess that's... Uh, people do that for various reasons. Uh, maybe to a customer benefit or it just looks good, you know, on their brand, uh, for their brand to be mm-hmm. supporting local farmers, right? Yeah, it's really, it's really important to them to, to like work with local farms. And so I think that they're just glad that we have you know, reliable, consistent product. And, and our, they've learned, they were like, well, we've tried local flowers before and they didn't last very long. And, and honestly, after our first couple of deliveries, she was like, the floral manager was like, these last a really long time. Mm. And so I was like, mm. I was really excited to like share the magic of local flowers mm-hmm. with them. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but we do also offer seasonal bunches mm. and those are always the same price point. So, those we sell to Earth Fair for six fifty, and I believe they mark them up to. I think it's only eight ninety nine, mm-hmm. um, and then it, that just changes. So, for example, during ranunculus season, they'll have a fewer number of stems than you know zinnias, right, or right. Um, and then we do a lot of dahlia bunches. So I finally was able to plant and grow enough dahlias to consistently offer those to earth fair, because that was definitely a flower that they, that they wanted. But in years past, I I just haven't had enough. And so this year we finally do. And, um, apparently they're just like flying off the shelves. So that's kind of fun. Well, I look, I listened to this description and I think in a way you've got this kind of down to a little bit of a system and it's somewhat of a guaranteed cash flow for you. You're not selling on spec. You're, you, they're paying you for what you deliver. Right. So it's, it's got to be in a way a good use of your time versus I know a lot of people use uh, farmer's market stalls as their kind of retail channel and um, or consumer facing channel. And that's a whole different calculation than grocery. Absolutely. Yeah. I, my first year, I kind of tried a little bit of everything. I tried a farmer's market. I did a CSA. Well, I did a CSA for two years and those just didn't work for me because I mean, it's mostly just me doing that. I have, you know, one full-time farm helper and two very part-time helpers. So my time is really, really valuable. And I just found that like one standing in the farmer's market booth and then maybe selling a lot, maybe not, that was just too variable. And then with the CSA, there's the whole communication piece that no matter how much I would you know, give clear instructions about pickup time and exceptions. I just, it was filling up my inbox mm. and, um, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, so, you could spend as much time in email cor- correspondence with a, you know, $10,000 bride <laughs> than, <yeah. laughs> you know, a CSA person, you know, customer who maybe is giving you $200 a year or something. I mean, not to, not to diminish that option because I know a lot of people have successful CSAs. It just worked. It sounds like this was a choice for you. Absolutely. It it just works with my personality. So I really love the, you know, great. Here's your order. We're all set. Thank you very much. I'll bring you beautiful flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is your fourth season, you said, right, Nikki? Yes. Okay. What did you do before flower farming and how did you get to this point of um, being a floral entrepreneur? Yes. So I think this was honestly a dream that took a long time to fully realize and put all the pieces together. But 
Um, growing up, my dad was a landscaper, also a tree farmer. He still helps out with a tree farm, even though he's mostly retired. And both my parents were very, very avid gardeners. They still, they have a great vegetable garden, but their yard is one of the most beautiful, um, just gardens manicured Mm. that Mm -hmm. I've ever seen. And I I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and that's where they still live. So I think that, yeah, that was that was just always a part of my life as being around plants. And then I went off and had a whole career in outdoor education. I led wilderness trips and then kind of in the off season or before wilderness trip season started, I um, apprenticed on an organic vegetable farm. And this was probably close to 15 years ago mm-hmm. now. And I honestly just fell in love with it. And we had a small patch of cut flowers on that farm. It was south of Atlanta. And it honestly just stuck with me or stuck with me. Um, but I wasn't really ready. I loved I loved traveling and I loved just working with kids on these wilderness trips. These were kids who really wanted to be there. It was mm-hmm. kind of like summer camp on steroids. Wow. Um, yeah. And... And then eventually I got tired of being gone every summer because the trips were mostly out where you are in the Pacific Mm -hmm. Northwest, Alaska, British Columbia, Northern California, but the company was based here in North Carolina. So that's how I ended up in Asheville. And anyway, so I just started kind of dreaming like, well, if I didn't do this, what would I want to do? And I kept coming back to, I really, I really want to farm. I really want to garden, but I knew I didn't want to farm vegetables. And, um, and so I just started looking into flower farming and it sounds really naive, but I actually didn't know that it was a really, you know, becoming a really popular job or like a viable (laughs) option. So I came home one day and told William and I was like, I think I want to be a flower farmer because I was, I was really struggling in my career with feeling really restless, but I had, I had done the same thing for over 10 years and was like, well, how do I make a switch? Like, yeah, this is what I know. And thankfully William didn't say that I was crazy and he just said, okay, well, let's look into this. And, (laughs) um, you know, we wrote a business plan and we looked at our, you know, finances, we looked at financial projections, um, and it seemed like it could work. So I would, would literally come home every day from my day job and I worked on a website. I thought about what I wanted my brand to look like. And so by the time I actually quit my full-time job, I was ready to go with a lot of the really crucial pieces for the farm. Um, I have found some beautiful land to lease from a native plant nursery and that was a great kind of incubator just to make sure that this was, you know, a business, not a hobby. And that right. <laughs> I was going to be able to make an income. Cause that was always really important. Like I can't, I can't do this, um, just for fun. Unfortunately, I need to make a living. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. So. Wow. Um, and now you're on land when you call your forever land. So you and, and William were able to buy your own farmland. Um, and we were, that's great. Yeah. Wow. We live at the farm, which has been life changing because we, I was driving back and forth and we have uh, our walk-in cooler is like a trailer that was parked in our driveway. And, you know, I could only harvest what would fit in my Subaru Outback and I would rush <laughs> to get it back home to get it in the cooler. And now it's just like, oh, now it's all there. a lot more hours. Yes. <laughs> well, you mentioned agri- uh, 
I guess, agro-tourism or flower tourism. I mean, that sounds like something that's proven already as a good choice for what you want to do with Flourish Flower Farm, but it sounds like it has a lot of potential to grow. It does. Um, it really does. So early on, people would ask, you know, can I come visit the farm? And I always said no, and I felt bad. But with going back and forth, I just I didn't literally have the hours in the day to have yeah. people stop by. So I, I kind of created these workshops as a way to share what we're doing to have sort of a controlled way for people to visit the farm. And it honestly has just blown me away with how how popular they are. And I think I'm just realizing that a lot of people, flowers represent just beauty and it's almost this like carefree mentality, which those of us who flower farm, we know it's not carefree, but if I can provide that experience for someone else, it's, I mean, it's a gift to me as well, just to see how happy it makes people to be able to come out here and, pick flowers and make something beautiful. And um, so, yeah. So you're you're really targeting the, the non-professional to take these workshops. They're, they're people in your community. It sounds like. Well, they, yes, they're definitely non-professionals for the most part, but they're not locals, which Mm. that's been the biggest shock. Really? I mean, yes, we've had people from Michigan, um, Japan, uh, let's see, Florida, Virginia, other parts of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Honestly, like most of our guests are not local. So wow. usually well, we only have 15 participants per workshop because I want to keep it small. And, you know, maybe one of them is from Asheville or a town that's, you know, an hour or two away. Wow. So. I am so surprised. So they're just kind of poking around and they find it on your website or, uh, again, through social media or. Yeah. Mostly through Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's where everyone seems to find us. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And so what are you charging for the workshop? Do you mind me asking? No, I don't mind at all. So, um, I charge $200 and it's three hours. We have a catered meal. Um, we start with a pretty in-depth farm tour, yeah, then we eat food and then we make a centerpiece. And so I have a huge display of flowers already harvested for everyone, but I also let them, you know, if they want to go out in the field and cut something, I let them because it's, it's an experience that a lot of people don't get to have. And, and, you know, when I was kind of researching, I was looking at what other farms were charging and I was honestly really surprised. I don't feel like people charge enough. Like it's a lot of work to Absolutely. Have, host a workshop. And yes, I do it because I want people to come to the farm, but it's especially during July and August when weddings are slower, not just for us, but for other florists. And, um, it's just a great way to, to add revenue mm-hmm. um, to the bottom line. So you are doing how many, like, for example, this year, how many will you have had? Well, I've done six this year. Wow. And you said you have one more left and it's already sold out. It is. Yeah. So do you think you'll make some changes for next year? Like, um, beef those up, maybe have the $200 one, but then also like, I don't know, the $500 one or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I think the one, the one thing we definitely are going to do. So we've been spreading them out every two weeks, really just throughout July and August. And 
we've learned it's so much work to get the farm looking really (laughs) nice every two weeks. So, and I, I moved them to Fridays this year, whereas the last two years I did them on Saturdays and I thought, I'll just see if people will come on a Friday and then I could possibly have a weekend off (laughs) and they, and they've come, but now we're like, it's just, it takes probably like two days of mowing and weed eating and, you know, just cleaning up the pathways. Cause I am a little bit of an OCD farmer and I like things <laughs> to be very tidy. Um, so I think we'll try doing a Friday and a Saturday. Yeah. And, why not? And then, and yeah. then maybe the following weekend you can take off or something. Like exactly. That. Wow. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, I love hearing the model too. I think, um, especially if people are taking a commitment to travel you want to give them more than one hour. You have to make mm-hmm. it make it something that feels robust. And the the tour and the meal plus the workshop and the chance to harvest sounds like you couldn't do it in less than three hours. No, I mean we we go right to the wire. And and some people, if they're finishing up their arrangement, like they stay a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I've kind of mixed it up in the in the spring and then in September we do the workshops in the evenings. And then in the heat of summer, we, we do, um, brunch, what mm-hmm. I call brunch, but mm-hmm. we start at eight 30 in the morning. So yeah. that we can be done before the heat of the day. Yeah. That's smart. That's really smart. Well, will you share some photos of your workshops and, uh, and your farm and your flowers so that people can see what you're doing at flourish? Absolutely. Great. Yeah. I, I can't believe that our time has raced by so quickly. I could talk to you forever. This is really fun and really fun to show a snapshot of Asheville. And before we close, maybe I should ask you to just describe a little bit about the the attitude of about local flowers in Western North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are so lucky to have just not only, you know, brides that want to come get married here and use local flowers and florists who really value local, but we just have a great community of growers. Mm. And, um, we actually all came together a few years ago to make a group called WNC flower farmers. And, um, usually our group involves getting together over the winter just to chit chat and say hi, but we do collaborate pretty often, um, in that we sell flowers to Mayesh um, and Charlotte together. Mm-hmm. So that's right. We've um, written we've written a little bit about this in uh, Florist Review. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, exactly. So you're not so like you're not like a formal cooperative. It's more loosely organized. Mm-hmm. It's very loosely organized. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> it works. Yeah, we're, it works for us. I think you know we 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 would love to do more, but we're all pretty busy and. Um, we, you know, we buy flowers from each other or sometimes if I can't fill an order, I'm like, Hey, well I can't, but you should ask so-and-so cause I know that they're growing this as well. And for the most part, it's really, really collaborative. And, um, and mm-hmm. I think that we've sort of just decided to let our grow, our group grow organically mm-hmm. and not, you know, force any guidelines or membership. We, we have membership requirements in that you have to be a commercial grower, mm-hmm. but, um, Right. But it's, it sounds like the one thing that people can choose to participate in if it works is, is this, um, Dahlia whole, wholesaling Dahlias, uh, to a large wholesaler. And that that is kind of a new revenue stream for you. It really is. And it's wonderful. So Emily with Carolina flowers organizes mm-hmm. it and she'll just 
really just send a text. Um, she was actually texting me before you and I hopped on the phone of like, okay, Monday wholesale. And for me, it's awesome because they want dahlias on a Monday. Mm. Like no one wants dahlia ever, you know, designers want them on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So it's like the whole other half of the week where you either need to harvest or deadhead. Mm. And so, and for Mayesh, it's worth it because right now there's three of farms where we can pool our flowers together and, and meet their large orders. Whereas just one farm alone, we probably couldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be worth their while to send a truck all the way here from Charlotte, which wow. is two hours. Wow. So it's a really cool thing. And then occasionally they want to buy you know, zinnias or cosmos or, you know, other flowers that just grow abundantly in these months. <laughs> right. So. Right. So that, uh, you've had to standardize some of the things like the number of stems per bunch and maybe what the, the charge, all three of you are, are charging the same and that sort of thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Emily's great. She handles all the, all the invoicing and, um, and kind of negotiates price for, for us, which, honestly is great because on a Monday I'll, I'm just glad to not be deadheading those flowers. And, yeah. Um, right. It's like, yeah, cat, cat, you're, you're cutting them going, Oh, this is money. I love it. That's, that's a, a, yes. lot, a lot more fun than watching them go in the compost pile. <laughs> so true. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, this has been so much fun. I'm really happy that we could have this extended North Carolina uh, episode with, um, Bower bird, uh, flowers and apothecary in part one and with flourish uh flower farm in part two it kind of gives people i hope a snapshot of how much is happening in north carolina and how vibrant the the landscape is for local flowers so i hope i get to come back and i've been to the eastern part of the state but i have not been to Asheville honestly for 10 years so i've got to come oh, visit we'll yeah. get you over here <laughs> anything else i didn't ask or that i forgot to ask that you want to mention for folks to hear I don't think so. It's just <laughs> such a pleasure, Deborah, and I'm just so grateful for all that you do for for all of us in the in the flower community. Oh, it's back at you, and I'm I'm really glad that we can uh, share this snapshot of North Carolina, and um, we'll have some beautiful photos of what you're doing, so people can find and follow you on all your social places. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Sounds good. Bye. 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 much for joining me today. I loved our North Carolina visit, giving you two unique ventures from which to draw inspiration and lessons for your own enterprise. You can find another cool resource about North Carolina grown blooms, which I've included in our show notes. It is a PDF that you can download from my florist review article about Southern flower hubs with sections on Piedmont wholesale florists of the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, which Diane and I discuss in her segment and the Western North Carolina Flower Farmers Group, which Nikki and I covered. Okay, our next sponsor thanks today goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. 
I want to give a special shout out and welcome this week to Terry Carstens of Dream Dirt Florals in Eastern Washington. Terry is the lucky winner of a one-year premium membership in Slow Flowers, which we donated to support the Washington Flower Project for their summer promotion. The Washington Flowers Project aims to increase awareness of locally grown flowers, build relationships within the flower industry, and increase local sales, and is a USDA Specialty Crop Block Grant funded initiative. Welcome, Terry. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Today's final thank you goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 510,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.